Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. Hercules Invictus, and tonight's show is The Path of Public Service, uh, and my segment is called The Age of Heroes. Uh, We have on as guests two awesome individuals, heroes both. Uh, One is Mark Zinna, a newly reelected on the Tenafly Council, and Wendy Getz, who is an activist, and we're going to be talking about net neutrality. Uh, an issue that uh, is of great importance to all of us in this age of communication. Greetings, Mark and Wendy. Greetings. Hello. Hi, Wendy. How are you? Good. Thank you, Mark. And yourself? Very well. Thanks for having us on, Hercules. Thank you, Uh, Hercules. I'm greatly honored. Um, I'm really looking forward to tonight's uh, discussion. And, uh, uh, Wendy, I understand we're running out of time uh, with this issue. So we, we all really need to act now and act powerfully. Yes, technically we ran out of time on Monday. But because the Congress will likely be in session until at least the 21st, it is uh, looking like it's allowing the net neutrality supporters more time to gather those 218 signatures that they need to force that vote um, with the CRA on the House floor. But uh, so far, we only have 178, and that is not looking good. You know, for example, our congressman has not budged at all. Hmm. Um, it's interesting. Guess, uh, go ahead. I'm, go ahead, Hercules. Sorry. Go ahead, Mark. Go ahead, Mark. No, I was gonna. I was gonna raise the issue. You know, it's. Um, it's interesting how much, you know, money plays into this, unfortunately, um, in these times with politics where, you know, you have members of Congress who get uh, campaign contributions from Verizon, AT&T and, and different, you know, private entities. And, and then, you know, their votes, unsurprisingly, uh, go the way that their, uh, you know, their paymasters want them to go. And there's something, you know, just fundamentally wrong about that. It's, it's sad to see that happening. 
on absolutely. the group. Absolutely. Um, Evan Greer is the director of Fight for the Future. And, you know, he said these Democrats have no excuse. Their constituents want them to support real net neutrality, and the entire rest of their party has already done so. And there are 17 of them that have not signed on to the CRA. We have uh, one more who possibly may be signing on, um, Scanlon, a Democrat from Pennsylvania. Uh, She won, and she, I, I guess, campaigned about her general support for net neutrality. So her constituents have been also urging her to sign on. We did have a couple last week, uh, Wilson and Morena was one other one. But we are, you know, we're we're so close. I, I think it's really positive because we're entering 2019 in a really strong position. Um, the FCC repeal, you know, it's a cross-partisan issue, and it sparked a huge backlash. And we've channeled that outrage into the elections um, and into some real political power going into 2019. We have states who have passed their own laws to protect net neutrality. Um, I think the city's number was actually up and above 123 as well. And there's possibility that maybe this new Congress will draft brand new regulations and new legislation to protect it. You know, it's interesting. There's a, there's a certain degree of irony here. Um, you know, the whole foundations of the Internet itself from 50 or 60 years ago was all funded by the Department of Defense and the ARAPNET. Uh, the taxpayers, we've all basically paid for the very beginning of this system, and now we're having these arguments about whether we should all have equal access to the system. And, and granted, there's plenty of private money that has poured into the Internet, um, you know, to build it to, to what we know it is now. But it is, it's fundamentally a utility that's become a necessity in all our lives, whether, whether you're, you know, Googling a place to look for a new job or the bus you're going to take to work and, and that sort of thing. You know, it's um, the whole concept that, that a, a private organization can limit your access to something that everyone um, everyone should have access to like, like, uh, you know, we all pay a, a public service and electric and gas bill, but no one tells us how, you know, the temperature in our home or how much gas we use or the amount of water we use, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, I see the internet as the same sort of public utility. Of course we have to pay for it. We have to pay our monthly costs and our monthly fees. But if I want to go on particular, you know, websites to Amazon, uh, it shouldn't be a situation where the folks at Walmart uh, have an influence on whether or not the speed I get to Amazon is uh, controlled by them or any other private company. What a great analogy. <laughs> what a great analogy. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Um, and even, you know, as we speak in the last couple of days, the FCC has been ordered to probe whether some of those carriers and ISPs are actually giving accurate broadband coverage data. So are they actually, um, you know, providing the agency, providing the FCC an inaccurate map of their broadband coverage? 
So they would be violating the rules of the initiative that provides those subsidies for the rural coverage. And, I mean, we get into, like, where is actually all of the money going because they have $10 billion left in the subsidies account for rural infrastructure. And the infrastructure out here um, it is, is lacking. We have a lot of educational uh, schools, small schools that don't have a, a lot of, of speed or data. And we have homes that, you know, it's a home or five homes on one street. So those ISPs won't come out here and build the infrastructure for five homes on one street. They'll only do it for 25 to 65 homes. You know, it's interesting. You 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 brought up a topic that it just kind of clicked in my mind. You know, we're in a situation where it's almost like the exact opposite of the rural electrification program, right? From from yeah. you know eighty ninety years ago and other generation, our grandparents' generation, where as a nation we look to bring electricity everywhere, so that everyone have could have access to it because. Those were the times they lived in, and you wanted to have everyone having access to electricity. It's really the same thing now. Everyone needs to have access to the Internet. And, and, and the Internet is still this kind of uh, wild west out there whether, you know, where you think because you're on the Internet and because you have an app or whatever it might be that you can avoid the rules and the laws that are in the bricks and mortars world. But you, you really, you know, because it's still the Wild West, we're in the infancy. Um, and I think the arguments about whether net neutrality is right or wrong, um, you know, 10 years from now uh, will be just as absurd as if someone said, well, you know, there's only, uh, there's only six houses on that street. We're not going to bring them electricity or we're not going to let them have access to the water supply system. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's the battle that we have to wage convincing our Congress people to make the right decisions and vote the right way on this. And, and we're it, actually re-waging it because it all started in 2010. And Obama, you know, he sent out his departments and agencies and said, unleash the wireless broadband revolution. And right. until 2015, when they actually, you know, came up and implemented net neutrality, you know, things actually went up. And this this area, Tom Wheeler was a, a wonderful chairman for the FCC. He released reports, and um, Agent Pai was said to release a 762 bulk report. He just put it all in there, and, and no specific order. Um, you know, specific data was in addendums, and and just very clustered. So I, I'm not going to do scheduled reports, uh, and I'm just going to put it all out in one bulk report. Dude. One of the things is this uh, dialogue is extending beyond the Internet. Uh, I've been listening uh, recently to uh, uh, various uh, reports that uh, uh, the Postal Service is being uh, reexamined, and rather than connecting everybody in the nation through a Postal Service, they're now talking about cutting back uh, in areas where uh, there's not a lot of uh, population and delivering maybe once a week or having them go to a pickup place to pick up uh, their mail. And uh, 
it, it's essentially the same uh, arguments that uh, are being used uh, for the internet and uh, I imagine for electricity back in the day rather than unifying the nation through these uh, services uh, people now are seeking to restrict these services to those that uh, um, can pay for them or you know fix centers of activity I, I'll have to look into that I'm unsure Okay. You know, it, it's it's interesting you you bring up the the post office. So um, just to, to pick a to pick because my when my my parents were in their eighties and an aunt is in her nineties and you know when they're together for holidays it's always conversations of what life was like in the nineteen forties and uh-huh. um, you know that while half the country was fighting in battle some of us you know some people you know we're, we're here and one of the things that comes up about the post office is. And in the 1940s, I don't know my math exactly, but there were about 140 or 150 million people living in the country. And the post mm-hmm. office delivered mail sometimes two and three times a day. Yes. And they, man- they managed to exist. Um, they, you know, it was the post, the post office rather than the postal service. And, and you're both right. Uh, it was half the population, far less than half the population we have today. And the system provided more services more effectively, um, and it just so it really boggles, it kind of boggles the mind, Hercules, you're right, about why Absolutely. we look to. Absolutely, and, you know, and the post office economically is so sound that they have been going after it to privatize it for quite right. a long time. Yes. So this kind of reeks of yet another way to tear it down and privatize it. Um, you know, you, so very good point, um, uh, Wendy, and, and the economics behind that. And a lot of our listeners, most people may not realize that the reason the Postal Service, uh, you hear about it in the news, struggling financially, is because Congress requires it to prepay all their pensions every year. They're not yeah. allowed to, to uh, you know, pay the pensions off in the future. They have to put the cash away every year. So of course, if it was privatized, if I bought the, if you and I went out and bought the post office today, the first thing we would do is not pay the pensions every year, and we'd have billions of dollars in our pocket if we did nothing else. Absolutely, That's and true. it's the only only entity that they require that of. That's correct. That's right. That's correct. <laughs> yes. Imagine if the state of New Jersey, imagine if the state of New Jersey was required to do that of all of our public pensions. I know everybody would get paid. And it still stays afloat. So its system, at the end of the day, does work, which is why it's such a great entity and great looking to those private private corporations. Um, getting back, we also had uh, Agent Pi come out and actually say that the net neutrality um, comments were possibly – fake and the release of the report of these fake net neutrality rule uh, comments on the rules and this is years we ask why did this take so long this is like two years of ignoring more than probably an inside job but the media is claiming Russia made all of the fake Mm -hmm. comments when the public were commenting on the FCC net neutrality rules um, so we have been collectively as a movement of movements, you know, speaking up and, and calling 
for an investigation into these obvious fake comments, and they were pro-repealing net neutrality. Right. You know, no, no reasonable, you know, citizen, taxpayer, what have you, would be in favor of uh, repealing net neutrality. I mean, it's it's. It's driven by, you know, business interests. Look at it. If, if you and I owned AT&T and Verizon, we might have a different point of view on this, right? Um, but but that, that, that doesn't justify, you know, their point of view. And, and the whole issue with, you know, we, we, we seem to be in this world right now where the Russians are at fault for everything. And it kind of reminds me, I have to say this, when, when my older children were, were young, they loved this movie, uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And in the movie, you remember it? And I remember in the movie, Pee-wee's bike was stolen, you know, uh, and when when he went to the police station, uh, I remember it clearly. He told the police officers that he believed it was really the Soviets that were behind the theft of his bicycle. So, you know, this argument about the Russians, they've been trying to get at us since the end of World War II, you know what I mean? We have our own Mm. enemies internally here. Absolutely. And so they they have lots of uh, fake comments, and now the feds are actually investigating it. So that's that's an update. Um, now the the Federal Trade Commission will be put in charge of this most likely. But if we look at its top consumer protection official, um, I apologize, don't have his name written down. But he actually can't even go after them because he has been a lawyer for many of those big companies. Um, so and he has to he has to stay at arm's length away. Absolutely. Yeah. So as the net neutrality rules that have disappeared, but those agenda items and trying to protect the consumer fall into the Federal Trade Commission's charge, um, they can't even truly go after any of the, the corporate crimes. <laughs> That's interesting. That seems to be a common theme, too, uh, these days. <laughs> the revolving door. You know, right. so you have the, the lobbyist, the lawyer move into the chairman position, into the official agency, and then back into the lobbyist group, and and just the revolving door goes round and round. They're all working with each other. They can't investigate each other. Uh, how do we, yeah, beyond that, the current uh, situation, how do we begin, how do we address this so that, that we're not uh, constantly reactive to these uh, type of things? I, I think educating the with the big picture. Um, you know, Brett Kavanaugh, he's just been appointed Supreme Court judge. He was never... I mean, he was the gentleman who should have tried this case, and he was the judge who said, "No, I won't. I won't take any effort in this case." And he was the one who let this this fall fall away. So I I don't you know we have to go after them all. You know, so you know Hercules with so many of these issues. Um, you really do have to talk to your congressman. 
you, you know, your congresswoman, your senators, um, your state legislators. Um, you know, I beat that drum all the time. Yeah, um, you do. The reason I beat it, I do, right? And, yes. and the reason I do beat that is because, you know, I, I've been an elected official twice before. I am again now or about to be sworn in. And myself and my colleagues, we all respond to residents that call us, that email us. And um, I know our congressman, Bill Pascrow, he has a... I love a, Bill uh, Pascrow. <laughs> He's a, he's taken some actions, and he's a, yeah. he's a really great representative. He's a um, great representative. Congressman Gottheimer, has... I've been coming to him with this issue for two years, and this and three other platform issues. You know, I ran against him for his congressional seat sure. because when when he won't, you know, when he runs away from you, I decide I got to run against him. <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, I, I, I always, if people have an inkling to run, I always advise them to run. Uh, I think it's, uh, you know, congratulations for doing that. And uh, that, that's important work because uh, it's, it's your opponents that always keep you on your feet, not your friends. And um, that, that's an important, uh, an important role that we all play all the time. But you know, he, he has a pretty good constituent services um, process and, and team over there. So, you know, all of our, you know, listeners Yeah, here, I, I delivered the 771 New Jersey small businesses signatures um, asking for the res- restoration of net neutrality. I um, delivered those this year, earlier this Great. year. Um, you know, we, you know, I search throughout the internet and anywhere I can find more help, more information. So uh, for the first time, I have actually found one, the Census Bureau. Woohoo! <laughs> Their data is actually coming out and showing the impact of geography and income yep. on broadband Internet access. And it's you know, showing that a, a county or a country's rural or urban geography and income level does have an impact on the rates of subscription to the Internet. And then, you know, it's funny because another shows a a major discrepancy. You know, they're showing New Jersey is connectivity ranked number one in the country um, and that we have 99% broadband coverage, which living in Warren County... I, I beg to differ with that statistic. <laughs> that's well, uh, this problem is kind of too. We, but you know, it's it's interesting you say that. Uh, but kind of the people we know and, and my children and their friends, uh, they're they I don't know anyone who's not connected to the internet somehow, and um, everyone's got you know servers in their houses and extenders and all so that. You could be on any floor in your house, on the treehouse, and still get internet service. So, you know, and and everyone, everyone should have access to it. It, it, it. You need it to be able to live in, in 2018. You really do. Absolutely. Again, and what, yeah, the New York Times came out with an article recently as well. I can add the link. You know, the digital divide is larger than we thought it was. And the study says it's wider than we think. Um, you know, getting 
wrapped up into, you know, if you live in a poorer neighborhood or you have a poorer school, there's there's less coverage. Um, you know, as we're expanding with the 2G and the 3G and finishing up, hopefully, the $10 billion in subsidies and getting that infrastructure out, um, you know, I think we should be looking backwards according to the 2010 appeals and building to where we got in 2015 and restructure it. Now we're having another census come out and be developed. And those statistics are, you know, used by the agencies and that will help. There is a question concerning Internet coverage on the census as well. So it's very important. Um, we just had a little help from them that we help and make sure that every person is counted. Uh, and it received, you know, helps so people receive funding as well. And we know that if we don't have Internet connectivity and net neutrality, our voices are stifled, our organizing, our educating efforts, and even the educating of our children. We have a lot of homeschooling groups in this county and, and all over the state. So that that decimates their efforts as well. Well, you, you know, you, you're talking about uh, you know, homeschooling. Um, in, in our town, um, we don't – there's not a lot of homeschooling in our town, but I will tell you that you can't be in the public schools here without having access to the Internet. Uh, the kids all have to submit their homework via the Internet. So – my youngest are in uh, eighth grade and eleventh uh, grade in high school. Um, all their homework has to be submitted over the internet. Very rarely do they bring it in paper form. Uh, their assignments are given to them over the internet. Uh, they communicate with their teachers via email. Um, you know, literally, on if, if we ever have a power when we have a power failure here, my kids are at a loss. They can't do their homework. They don't have Absolutely. access to the systems. So, so that means. <clears throat> That means children who don't have access uh, to the system, they're immediately at a disadvantage uh, because they then have a less opportunity to understand the technology. They can't speak the same language as the other students, and uh, they fall behind. And so you're 100% right. If that, from an educational standpoint, um, every child, you know, look, we have compulsory education in this country which means every child, every child effectively should have access to the Internet just by, just by that fact alone so that at least, um, you know, kind of Abraham Lincoln talked about it. Everybody gets the, you know, you're, you're born equal, but then, you know, the battle starts after that, but everyone should have a shot at the same opportunity. Um, and you go as far as you can go with it, and I think the Internet and education is, is fundamental to that. Absolutely. Uh, this day I, and age. It's uh, very ironic. Uh, when I first started uh, um, my, I guess, public entertainment and uh, public things back in like the cusp of the new millennium, uh, the big problem back then was uh, also the digital divide. The, uh, the, the computers um, and their use in uh, um, a lot of different uh, businesses was uh, creating a divide between the haves and the have-nots. Uh, and uh, back then, there really wasn't a lot out there. Uh, Bill Gates eventually solved the problem by donating tons of computers and software to uh, libraries. 
but around that time, that wasn't going on. So uh, I remember my first big public thing that was uh, covered uh, extensively was uh, in downtown Brooklyn, uh, I formed like a co- an informal coalition of individuals and nonprofit organizations. Uh, we didn't have grants or anything. We just decided to do this. And everybody contributed something, and we created uh, drop-in centers where anybody can drop in and use the computer, and there were people there to show you how to use uh, the computer. Uh, and again, that became uh, obsolete very quickly, but we did it before anyone had done it uh, down there. And I thought that that was it for the digital divide. And now to, to see it uh, reappear, it, it's uh, you know, very, very strange. Yep, and with sure. the net neutrality, it'll increase it. The longer we don't have it, and we have already received reports of throttling um, and uh, extra money being asked for, you know, getting into the fast lane and pressure the telecom monopolies. They they just you know spend their millions trying to fool us into thinking that net neutrality is anti free market or burdensome burdensome but it's it's a great regulation and it protects right. us from corporate censorship um, right. it's pro competition uh, it my, keeps uh, the ISPs in check <laughs> my my favorite lie is. Uh, you know, obviously, I have cell phones. I have a cell phone account, and, um, and uh, I have unlimited data. You know that I pay for every month, and uh, and uh, I really always get a chuckle out of when I have to have an argument with my provider. And sometimes I do it for fun. I'm like, wait a minute, you just sent me a text message that says I'm reaching my data limit, but I pay you for unlimited data. And they say, yeah, but if you use, you know, whatever it is, you know, more than <laughs> 51 gigabytes a month, we have to throttle you down. Uh, I said, well, then it's not unlimited. Well, yeah, it's unlimited. It just goes so slow. I'm like, it's so slow, it's useless. You know, (laughs) I mean, it's it's just like like uh, like you said, Wendy. It's just a complete lie uh, that you know. I walk away just kind of laughing because I'm amused, but it's not really funny. Absolutely. And in ten years, I I think we won't be laughing because it could really go either way. Um, You know, I I have. I have hope that the Democrats will get it going, but there's 17 of them that are blatantly slapping us in the face. (laughs) So I, you know, should we have hope that they will, or what will we as constituents have to do? Um, And there's, you know, been a lot in the last 20 years to push for this by constituents. Uh, 83% of Americans want this this is you know and withholding it and agent pie not investigating and lying about the comments you know that's exactly what net neutrality is supposed to protect against um you said something about 10 years the 10 years stuck in my head i was watching something on julian assange on a ted talks 10 years ago and they were cheering him, standing ovations. He was a hero 10 years ago, 10 short years ago. And we've uh, seen our media turn that entire story around. 
Well, yeah, I mean, that's a that's a whole, you know, that's a that's an enormous discussion in terms of, you know, what's going on in the media and what's mm-hmm. the truth, what's the real truth and nothing but the truth. Um, and without it, net I neutrality, would, we'll never really right. have it. We'll never, never really have never it. Really have the opportunity. Would, I, right, because, you know, whether you read, you know, the New York Times, the New Republic, or, what, you know, whatever particular publication you read, um, I, I've always found it best to read, you know, a, a, a multitude of different viewpoints. So then I try to glean the facts from everyone and then try to develop my own viewpoint. But but you're right. If, if I'm not allowed to read the New York Times or the New Republic or whatever it might be, then then I'm going to miss something. And uh, if, if, we, if we lose, if the Internet loses the freedom, if we lose the freedom to go wherever we want, then you're right. How, how do we know what's really true? How do we fact check anything? Where are the opponents and the opposing voices? That keeps uh, that keeps everyone in check. That's and how do we learn the solutions to climate change? How do we uh, work for fair trade deals? Um, how do we share uh, information on in- sustainable growing, you know, chemicals that harm us? Uh, just the information, you know, that's been taken away from the FDA, the EPA sites. You know, we're seeing throttling in in those areas as well from this particular administration. Right. Agreed. You're right. Yeah, it's, it's the, very uh, important to to be exposed to different uh, viewpoints because, uh, like, I, I like challenging my viewpoints all the time. And uh, um, just – listening to or watching or reading uh, what somebody I know I'm not going to agree with has to say helps me continuously reexamine my uh, beliefs. Uh, And uh, I, of course, I can't be assured that I have the truth at any given moment, but I always seek to uh, increase my understanding because, uh, um, you know, otherwise how can you navigate through life and make good decisions unless you're aware of all the different perspectives? Absolutely. I um. I really jumped right into the healthcare uh, chats about two years ago, and I, I went right for Paul Ryan's, and I listened and I read all about Paul Ryan's healthcare plan, uh, you know, before I went and read, you know, different healthcare plans, and and then we, you know, came along to the oldest one right now, HR six seven six. And then I read Bernie and Booker's plan. And mm-hmm. so you you are familiar with all of the available Medicare, uh, health care plans, private, public, um, and the options and the creativity that's, you know, used for solutions for the patient, for the health care, not the profits. And, and the further, and you can disseminate, disseminate it against it if you're listening and reading all of the above. I absolutely agree. So, so I have to, when you bring up uh, healthcare, I have to, and as Hercules knows, this is a particular passion of mine, but. Oh, we should point, do another I'm, one with healthcare. We'll have to have another 45 minutes I'd of healthcare. To, I'd love to. Well, um, we're going to so have, my, I'm, I'm, Mark, I'll let you talk in a second, but I, I, um, um, we are, I am planning to have these types of discussions more often, and we will do healthcare, so we will do that. 
so my comment and to your point, uh, Wendy, is I, I used to be a very staunch believer uh, in, uh, you know, the private private insurance, private, you know, everything private, uh, market, you know, the whole the whole system we have now. I used to be a big supporter of that. And frankly, I educated myself uh, over the past 20 years of uh, different people's thoughts, the process we have now. I looked at statistics, uh, you know, on the Department of Commerce websites, all kinds of things. Talked to people who lived in Europe, had relatives who lived there. And I'm 180 degrees different now. I educated myself because of the information that's out there on the Internet. And, you know, I've come to the conclusion that I'm in full support of private doctors, private hospitals, hospitals. But the concept of insurance in healthcare is is one big lie. And that we really do need a single payer healthcare system, where, as a as a nation, we pool our healthcare dollars and we pay our doctors and we pay our hospitals, that sort of thing. But without access to the internet and the enormous amount of information and data that's there, you know, my viewpoint might still be in the dark ages. But I'm happy to say, I uh, evolved. And, Absolutely, um, and without net neutrality and these types right. of things, we wouldn't be able to. Right, and because offer the opportunity the for our children to do the right. same. Exactly, someone would have the power to shut off the thro- that that flow of information, and uh, people should be free to get the information and then form their own opinions on how the information should be used. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> And, and Mark is my uh, council person, so uh, I lend my sword to... And it's wonderful, yes. Uh, he, he, he begins in that uh, arena. Absolutely, because yeah, the it. municipal... The, and from what I understand um, from our deputy mayor, uh, you know, you hand, the hands are tied at the municipal level, not just from state law, but a lot of federal law from what you can and cannot accomplish, um, specifically in this area as well, broadband and infrastructure, there are quite a few challenges, legal challenges, to you know maybe set up municipal broadband uh, and or I guess the easements for infrastructure. You know, if your town decides, well, 5G is just a little bit too much of a radioactive risk for us, um, you may not be able to stop that. Yeah, you're, you're uh, right. You're 100 percent correct. If uh, you know Verizon or AT and T want to put uh, small cell networks on, uh, you know, the utility poles in our town, which I believe PSC and G owns and has, you know, the right of way, we we have no ability to pass an ordinance to prevent. Um, the utility from using those lines, regardless of the health consequences. Um, even the state doesn't have the ability to do that. You know, that's all, you know, Federal Communications Act uh, rules. So you're right. You're right. So that's so I guess the first step. <laughs> Save net neutrality so we can educate right. more people on yeah. those challenges that come further down the line. <laughs> Look at, you know, net neutrality is the new Guttenberg's Bible, uh, you know, the Guttenberg's movable type sort of thing where, yes. you know, he printed his Bibles and the whole world became educated. And, yeah. uh, it, and it's the same thing. 
You have to have the free flow of ideas. Absolutely. Uh, well, it was sure a pleasure speaking with you tonight, Mark. I appreciate that we great. got on the, the line together. No, very good. Uh, I, it was a pleasure talking with you, and I hope we do it again soon. I uh, you definitely here will. We'll do it next. Uh, if, yeah, you're going to be together again next week. Um, and uh, I enjoyed listening to both of you and your exchange and the information that you provided. So um, I'm thinking of making this a, a permanent uh, part of uh, the Elysium project. Uh, so I'll be speaking with both of you uh, about it. And uh, I'm hoping to have like a topic uh, uh, based conversation, uh, you know, like at least once a month. So uh, I'm I'm glad that uh, you're both interested in that because I'd, I'd love to do it. That sounds fabulous. I'm all in. That sounds wonderful. Myself as well. Before we leave, how can folks get in contact with you? We'll start with Mark. So I'm at Mark underscore Zinna at yahoo.com. M-A-R-K underscore Z-I-N-N-A at yahoo.com. Thank you. And Wendy? Um, you can find me on Facebook, uh, Wendy, W-E-N-D-I-E-W-Gets. Um, or you can email me at wendyswords at gmail.com. Um, and that's W-E-N-D-I-E-S, words, W-O-R-D-S. And Wendy's is like the bird, wendyswords at gmail.com. Thanks, Hercules. Thanks to both of you. And um, in, Thank you uh, both. Thank you. And in Sussex County, I have half a dozen individuals who uh, um, are very interested in the topic of net neutrality. And we've been talking about uh, taking concerted uh, action. So I'll be talking to both of you individually in the next couple of days. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay, be well, and thanks again. Happy holidays, and uh, happy, uh, oh, we'll be talking before the new year, but just in case, happy new year. All right, take <laughs> Thank care. You. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Bye for now. Uh, we're going to take a very brief uh, break. We're going to listen to Evolve by Bone Poets Orchestra, and then we'll be back with the Sussex Report with Astrid. <laughs>
Project. The theme of tonight's show is the path of public service, and we will now enter the world of the Sussex Report, hosted by Astrid. Greetings and welcome to your show, Astrid. Greetings, Hercules. A pleasure, as always, to speak with you. Oh, the same here. I've been looking forward to our conversation for a while now. Uh, when we're not talking in person or uh, on the show, it's mostly emails, quick emails going back and forth. So it's, it's a real pleasure to be speaking with you. 
And I thought this this week we'd basically get into a little retrospect here of 2018 and uh, we'll start at the global level because so much has changed in one year. Yes, most certainly so. And, and uh, to lay the foundation very basically, we have to always remember that public sector is quite different from the private sector. Oh, yes. Uh, and there's something called the code of ethics and the code of conduct that must be upheld when you're dealing with the public sector. That is something that gets lost uh, a lot in people's understanding. And uh, um, I know a lot of people are of the mind that uh, they should put business people in charge of everything. But uh, as you point out, the mindset and the mission uh, of uh, the private sector and the public sector is actually you know, quite uh, different. Uh, the uh, the uh, business uh, community, it's all about cost cutting and it's about uh, um, the bottom line, uh, whereas when you're providing services to humans and you're governing human beings, uh, the, it's quite different. Yes, and, and, and also the factor that the private a uh, private person has a business, and they're there to stand for accountability and profit factor. But in the public sector, you have to remember the constituency and the reason why you were placed in office. Yes. And, and you're a public uh, servant, not a public master. Exactly. And, and I think the most uh, surprising thing, I think, this, whole, this year, uh, the result is that the United States – has basically fallen in their image of respect within the global community. It's hard to argue with that. Uh, you see it at the UN. Uh, you had seen it at all the different global conferences, uh, the G- G7 fiasco in June, whereas uh, our president departed early. Um, the rhetoric that has been displayed in dealing with leaders, world leaders, that just has never been displayed before. And I think you see a lot of apprehension and confusion by the world leaders in in the sense that they really don't know where this man is coming from, how he can be depended upon, and what his next move is going to be. And will his talk work with his walk? I mean, very often he plays a, um, a game that works very well in business, but does not serve well in the public sector. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so. How, how would we address this? Because it, it is a problem, and uh, whatever um, news outlet you look at, regardless of uh, what they support and don't support, uh, your eyes and your ears will show you that uh, you know, this approach is wreaking havoc uh, among humanity at this particular point in time. Well, I think that the other leaders within our own communities are starting to become more vocal about what is appropriate and what isn't. And I'm sure when January comes around, uh, the House of Representatives definitely will set the stage for what will be discussed on the floor, what bills will be considered. Um, And again, as in the past episode that we've had here, we've discussed complacency. And uh, uh-huh. how I perceive complacency starting from the very primary in the Republican Party, whereas there was rhetoric and name-calling and demeaning of people right there on the stage. 
right during the primary elections before our president even was nominated, which was really should not have been allowed because that set the stage for what was allowable and what was to come. Yes, uh, and uh, it's continued uh, that way. It, 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 it's childish in, in a way, too. It's, uh, um, it, it brings communication down from the highest state uh, where we had taken it uh, down to, like, something that uh, school children in a playground would kind of... Most uh, definitely. Rather than being debated on an intellectual level where you have... Um, Basically, like a debate team where you're you're going back and forth about positive points, negative points for for each group. You have uh, relegated it to uh, playground bullies, and uh, being a former art educator, I can tell you that none of this rhetoric would have been allowed or is allowed within the school system. So it's amazing mm-hmm. that it's happening in our highest court. But uh, what do you see as some of the interesting things that have happened globally besides um, this whole refugee fiasco, the, the building of a uh, border wall for how many billions of dollars, and that will, will set the cornerstone for the budget for the following year for, with our president? Yeah, I, I do believe that we need uh, a, a coherent and comprehensive uh, um, border uh, policy and immigration policy uh, right. because I researched that after we started having problems to see what are the different perspectives uh, and it did seem that uh, the, the process was broken. People who were trying to come here legally had to wait for like a decade and even then, you know, uh, uh, and the process had become uh, ridiculously expensive. I remember when I was growing up because I'm the child of immigrants um, you know, my uh, my grandparents uh, uh, had to study and they had to take a test and, the, you know, they had to swear an oath and uh, and all that. And they, then they were citizens, you know, and now it seems to take forever and not to be that uh, simple anymore. So we need a. Right. A right. And, and I think most people don't realize there also are annual quotas for specific countries. I had a friend yes. of mine who was uh, involved with a uh, Danish man and they were looking to get the visas set and, and marry, and they basically were told that we're not even looking to allow them into this country because the quota for this year that is is low. So, I mean, there also is a quota process. Uh-huh. Yes, there is, and... Uh... Um, that uh, changes from time to time, you know, what the, what the quotas are. And a lot exactly. of people who are against exactly. immigration are hearkening back to a time before uh, some of these quotas were established when there were more stringent uh, and uh, um, racially motivated uh, quotas, and they're trying to return to those uh, days. Right, right. And, and then they have to also realize there's a certain uh, laws in terms of, of safety and protection that were given to three specific countries because of the fact there were such horrific situations in there, and particularly uh, Guatemala. It was basically Guatemala, San Salvador, and Mexico. I mean, with the gang situation, the corruption um Gangs are not just here in the United States. They're prevalent there, and people have to escape because of the fact their families are threatened. And they were given – these are asylum countries because of all these different situations that exist there. So that's another issue that they have to deal with is, you know, how do you deal with asylum countries, which is basically yeah, that, our situation along that border. 
I grew up with uh, in New York City, um, and the Statue of Liberty was is right there in New York Harbor. And uh, the poem that's on the Statue of uh, Liberty was uh, something that was etched into my uh, young mind uh, as an ideal that America represented and, and strove for. And I was very deeply disturbed when uh, some people suggested, you know, removing that uh, poem from the Statue of Liberty and, and saying that we don't stand for that. Uh, America is a refuge. It's a, a place where you go to um, to start over, to create a better life for yourself, your family, America, and the world, you know. And uh, this was something that uh, it was almost religious, you know, with uh, the ancient goddess uh, Libertas. Um, or Eleftheria, as she's called in uh, Greek. And uh, I have that challenged by people who are saying we shouldn't be that. It's like, so who are we then? What are we then if we're not this uh, great place that everybody's striving for? Mm, And and another interesting aspect to this whole refugee fiasco was the separation of families, uh, which was supposedly to... uh, you know, to uh, deter people, but people are forget- also are unaware of the fact that these centers that were established, and there was a multitude of them, there's definitely big money being made from these centers. A lot of private enterprises, particularly with uh, defense contractors, are making money uh-huh. separating the families, setting up these uh, separate sections here for the children versus the um, the immigrants. So there's also money to be had in this situation as well. Yes, most certainly so. And uh, um, again, that leaves a horrible image. Uh, whatever the reality of the situation, the uh, images that we've got of children in cages uh, it rivals uh, like Herod's slaughtering of the children, or you know, it, it's it's a it's a it seems to be like a high crime against uh, humanity. Uh, and yeah, and also have- no no rhyme or reason of organization because there's still quite a few children that are separated from their parents. Yes, you know, the staggering number. So uh, there's another aspect of it. But uh, let's continue with this code of ethics and code of conduct of the public sector. Let's look at these these cabinet heads and uh, all of these secretaries. Uh, uh, Starting first with the Secretary of the Interior, we had um, Scott Pruitt uh, as the head, uh, who headed the EPA, and who in his past, in the past, repeatedly sued Obama administration over the Clean Air and Water Act. And here was a man who resigned due to ethics scandals. You know, unbelievable amount of money, lobbying going on, um, using taxpayer money to fund his own personal needs and lobbyist needs. So uh, he went down, and now we have Ryan Zinke, his replacement, who is basically a front for the mining oil and gas industries, definitely not a steward for public lands. Um, the EPA has the poor people that had, had to work under that administration said there was constant deleting of specific information uh, that the coal lobbyists were running the agency um, they were looking at public parks this is a, a big issue that I know a lot of organizations are fighting um, uh-huh. basically looking to pull apart areas of the public parks to use so take away from uh, that are all of our beautiful institutions and public lands and start cutting them up a little bit here and there. And I guess private sector 
using them for the private sector. And, of course, now just recently they're, they're talking about um, gutting the Clean Waters Act. Yes, uh, um, Wendy was talking about that a little earlier, and I got into that conversation with uh, several people during the course of the day. So that is something that uh, is very disturbing. Most um, definitely, and, most definitely. It took so long to set, uh, you know, set legislation in place in terms of controlling these huge corporations that, that were uh, undermining our clean water and our air. And now it looks like we're going to be going in reverse again. And then we have our Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos, who was a proponent of charter schools over public schools, uh-huh. actually gutting funds and guidelines. And um, as you know, the charter schools, and, I, and I'm not saying anything negative about charter schools. What I'm saying is that you cannot have a person sitting as a Secretary of Public Education being a proponent for charter schools and deferring the money from one area and we start looking at the inner city schools and and situations like minimal computers and taking money away and and putting them in a situation where people are being paid to work for virtually nothing and a CEO is running the place and is making six figures you know there's something wrong there as well as rewriting the sexual assault victims act under title 9 which was in place from 211 to 214 Wow. That's a little frightening, too. And then the situation with the, the gun safety. It was supposed to be safety in schools, and they were looking at it. And uh, basically the one thing they were looking at was just possibly raising the age. That's it. And that basically, thanks to the NRA, that was thrown out. So we have a lot of factors in place with our, our heads, in terms of uh, even the Department of Labor, there was somebody involved in the Department of Labor, Senator, uh, Secretary Acosta, who was criticized for negotiating an unbelievable break for a wealthy serial sex offender. And there was a deal that was brokered for Jeffrey mm-hmm. Epstein. So there, there's a lot of things going on that definitely never have gone in the past. Or at least not this visibly uh, or transparently. It's like uh, people feel they can get away with anything now, so everything's happening in, in plain view. Right. Across the board, and, and it's total disregard for the very position or cabinet that that, that person's supposed to represent. If someone's there for the to represent people's rights and the betterment of transportation, uh, farming, uh, world health or organization has denoted you know, all of the climate changes, how it's adversely affected social environmental uh, living and you know, the health situation, and then yet we just totally deny it, have, have people that deny it. It's a little frightening. Oh, it's, it's more than a little frightening. It's, it's very frightening. And on top of all of these things that are going on is the information that even the administration's uh, uh, you know, folks are, are putting out that uh, our planet is in danger, life on Most the planet. definitely, most definitely. And as Wendy and Mark had said uh, previously, uh, you had the head of, of uh, communications, the FCC, Ajit 
Pye, who was uh, a big lawyer with Verizon, and he was someone who's supposed to protect our rights as consumers and and have regulations in place ensuring protection. And yet, he, the first thing he did was just usher in this whole big big thing against net neutrality. A proven half a million comments were sent to the FCC were from Russians. Email addresses that were fake uh, when the debate was started. Uh, only one Democrat on the FCC panel who disagreed with the majority in terms of, of withholding the records. You know, she said, you can't withhold all this information. And yet they said, well, you know, what the people don't know. There you go. So that's that wondrous cabinet. Uh, one thing we, we did have that was positive is that all of these things going on, the, the public made their, their voices heard with the midterm elections. And for the first time we saw, you know, the House was taken back. I mean, in New Jersey alone, you know, all the, yes. all the seats went to the Democrats. And, and, and then you're looking at the fact that we had representation in the country of two Muslim women, an openly gay person in Colorado. Uh, changes. You know, states that were strictly Republican went Democrat. Uh, the the downside of that is that um, there definitely has to be a major push to keep ethics going because you had Kemp interference as Secretary of State with voter registration in in Georgia, whereas he defeated Stacey Abrams. And I had seen somewhere along the lines on the Internet, thank God for that, with free news. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that there was definitely going to be a suit involved in terms of uh, the fact that he was actively campaigning for a position while he was Secretary of State, the conflict of interest, here we go with the code of conduct again. And there was, uh, you know, we had talked about previously about the fact that uh, absentee balance weren't counted, voter registration changes, how many were sitting on his desk that he just totally ignored. Of course, it was from an area where he knew he would not be uh, represented. We had mishandling of uh, ballots by persons in North Carolina that that what they have cannot certify that election because they went against um, election laws where people were uh, collecting absentee ballots, which is illegal. Yes. And, uh, again, these things have always gone on. I've heard stories. The more involved uh, I get on the path of public service and politics, the more of these stories I I hear. Uh, And uh, uh, that that these type of things have been going on for a very long time. But now they're going on on a grander scale. A large scale. The pretense. Uh, of uh, impro- you know, like improprieties are now committed, crimes are being committed, and uh, people in positions of uh, power and responsibility are saying, "Well, it's okay <laughs> that other people are committing uh, crimes." Right, right, right. And then you have Scott Walker in Wisconsin, who lost, and, um, and to, to a Democratic governor, Tony Evers, and basically he is bringing forth. With his with his group there, bringing forth bills to limit his powers, basically to strip uh-huh. him of his power. So here, where the where the voters have spoken and said, "Well, we don't want any more of you, no more Scott Walter business, Walker business," and he's determined not to let go of his power. 
Yes. So we'll and see what happens. We'll see what happens with that. But uh, there are some, there is something that's very interesting as we're looking at these negative things that are coming along, and, and voters have made their, their voices heard. There will be the first bill to the House in January. It will be H.R. 1 that has the intent to close dark money loopholes, curb corporate special interest money and influence, and is called the Anti-Corruption and Clean Elections Reform. And uh, basically, they're looking to change the way campaigns are financed. Now, you know, and, and I know, Citizens United made a major change in terms yeah. of the way funds and elections were handled. It went before the Federal Election Commission, and their statement was that political spending is a form of protected free speech under the First Amendment, and the government may not keep corporations from spending money to support or denounce candidates in election. Then that precipitated the lower court to say, well, the limits are unconstitutional. That's what led to the super PACs. And the super PACs are basically protect very shadowy political parties, dark money, because that money does not have to be disclosed at all. And there's supposed to be limits that you are allowed to contribute. Yet there are people under the guise of other names or corporations or the fact they don't have to disclose now that are putting billions, not millions, into elections. So Mm -hmm. this is a good bill because there will be another backdoor to change the way Citizens United has affected uh, campaign financing. Uh, And you can, this is the good thing, we do, our voices can be heard, and that is basically by contacting your House of Representatives member in your district. And in Sussex County, in my fifth district, it would be Josh Kottheimer. But uh, it's very easy to find. Thank God we have the Internet. That you can go on and find out who your House of Representative member is. And you can contact them by email. You can contact them by phone. And ask them to, to put forth and vote this bill through. Bring it onto the floor and move it. Can you uh, email me the information after the show? Definitely, uh, definitely. definitely. Look into it and I'll, I'll definitely let people know about it uh, in future shows and on the uh, website. Right, right. And, and I'm sure people are aware of the, uh, also of the fact that uh, health coverage, three day, we're three days away from it for the deadline. And you can go to healthcare.gov. There's a phone number for that, 1-800-318-2596. Please make sure you are ready to be covered for the new year because the, the, um, that's something you haven't seen too much in the papers. And, and this um, administration, Washington, has tried to downplay it and hasn't been much publicity or money put out by the federal government. And my uh, guess is, is to make, make sure they can say, well, the figures for the Affordable Care Act have uh, diminished, whereas people rely on affordable health care. A, a lot of people didn't know from what we're gathering the uh, um, right. Affordable Health Care Act you know, is the same thing as what they're deriving as Obamacare. And you know, they're exactly. not aware that it's the same thing. And that, that was very unfortunate uh, that uh, 
even, uh, you know, Democrats and even Obama started calling it Obamacare. That really muddied the waters uh, there. And a Most lot of definitely. Think- no bill should be tied to a particular leader. It should be, at First of all, it should be tied to the, to the people that sponsored it and for the reason why it was, be sponsor, it was sponsored, which coincidentally was uh, one of the co-sponsors was um, Menendez, our senator from New Jersey. So uh, I seeing that link to uh, healthcare, uh, the healthcare.gov uh, for right. people to get 2019 healthcare coverage. Uh, and what's right. the deadline you said? It says here that December 15th, and we're three days wow. away from it. Uh, so I would suggest people uh, go to healthcare.gov, call the number 1-800-318-2596 just to get information. But and it's you know if you have a, a a carrier now just call and make sure you're covered or you're signed up, you know some you automatically stay with some you have to uh, find out in terms of they notify you by mail that we're no longer doing this or that within your own state because it varies state to state the coverage as well, you know people think it's just one big blanket thing because now in New Jersey, uh, Medicare is being handled differently it's through, through Aetna, and, and I found out that we're being combined. You know, our local is going to be combined with um, our state, and uh, so you had to pick a carrier. So that means research, <laughs> and, and it is complicated. It's not simple. Yeah, you have access to a lot of information, but you have to have the time to really study it and place right. the policies side by side, the benefits, the pluses and the minus, and and everyone, and it's individual for every person. Are you a single individual? Are you a fa- do you have a family you have to cover? Are you um, younger, so you won't need constant medical care or specialists? Are you older with multiple pre-existing conditions, which is always an issue? Well, you know, it, it varies, and how you use your doctor and specialists will determine what type of policy you're going to take, your deductibles, how much of a deductible. It is complex. Yes, it is complex. And uh, I was doing some research uh, after speaking with you and uh, some of our other guests, and it's also very misleading and confusing. A lot of people, uh, because of the way it's presented, where uh, the quality of the uh, uh, health insurance that you're getting isn't really explained, uh, some people are making choices that sound good initially, but that don't really cover them in very many areas. So, uh, 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 What I'd like to, to suggest to people is that they start looking at the doctor that they trust and that they mm-hmm. care about and see if – they actively participate with those carriers. That's an issue because you can get a list of doctors. That doesn't mean that the doctors will stay on that list. That's another thing. You know, I would look into um, um, their past performance in terms of how many doctors have left the network. That's another aspect. And what is allowable in terms of, um, of being covered you know, what kind of tests and how often the tests are. Very true. And Astrid, we've, I, I looked at the clock. We've reached the end of our Big journey. Time. And thanks for taking a look back at 2018 and stepping, taking the first baby step into 2019 with our House of Representatives. Again, it is the bill HR1, which is the anti-corruption and clean elections reform, which covers a lot of aspects. You know, dark money, special interests, 
and I'm sure it will also involve uh, how uh, ballots are counted, and hopefully they will also look into um, voter registration. That's another issue. And I want to thank you. Folks who want to reach Astrid can reach her th- uh, through me on Facebook or by emailing me. My contact information is on my website uh, or calling me. Um, thank you so very much, and thank you so very much for sacrificing some of your time so that uh, the conversation on the uh, net neutrality can go on. I'm looking forward to speaking with you soon. Yes, definitely. Always a pleasure. And, again, I thank you for having the platform out there so that people can access information, and that's what it's about. And the platform is going to – one of the things in 2019 is we're going to have a bigger platform with more time for everybody. We're going to be addressing uh, more issues. So thank you for making that possible by being part of this adventure. My pleasure. Okay. Take care, Astrid. Happy holidays. You too. You too as well. And to Athena. Thank you. Uh, we're going to listen now to Brand Kadorian's King of Dreams, and then we'll be back with Bill Waitman and the Eye on Northern New Jersey. And my board is acting up. <laughs> or maybe we won't. Okay. Thank you, Astrid. Okay. Um, Bill Waitman, welcome to your show. How are you? I'm doing okay. A little bit of a cold. And my guest has, oh, I'm sorry uh, to hear that. <laughs> I was researching Autumn Curling, who's on the who's on the <laughs> other line, and I'm phenomenally impressed. I'm really looking forward to to your conversation uh, tonight. Uh, welcome to our show, Autumn. Thank you, Hercules. Happy holidays to you and your family, and hi to you too, Bill. Okay, I'll talk hey, to you guys later. That. We'll be yes. here. <laughs> Okay, we on? Hello? Yes, you're on, Bill. It's it's uh, it's it's all you at this point. I'll be engineering. Okay. <laughs> you gotta I, have an uh, engineer. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's in Tenafly. Where 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 we are, and uh, we'll start. Okay, uh, our guest tonight is uh, Autumn. How do you say your last name? I want to make sure I don't mispronounce my. Cough. Sure, Erling? Bill. My my last name is Erling, Bill. Okay, and you are intrinsically real. Uh, yes, I uh, am. Autumn is a real estate giant. We're going to cover a lot of things tonight. Uh, she'll tell us about some things that she does in the community that are, you know, go beyond and are really good and helpful to build community spirit and build skills. Uh, I just want to give up a, a few points. We're going to talk about real estate. We're going to talk about New Jersey. The medium income in New Jersey for a home is $323,400, going by one of many sources. Uh, The median income for a home in in urban areas is about $249,000. The median rent uh, in New Jersey is about $1,213, but again, there's a range that can go up to $2,100 or more. Towns like uh, Edgewater and uh, some other areas. Cities tend to be more towards the 1,200. Um, other than that, uh, we talk about the economy. Despite uh, the trade sanctions, which have uh, greatly hurt the United States and greatly hurt China, uh, and which may still go up to $260 billion or more, uh, 
there has been growth in the world economy, and that's uh, about 4%. Uh, the U.S. is uh, trading about 2.9% or 2.2% in GDP, and I don't have the figures on China. Um, from there, I just wanted to note, just move this. This is Hexos. Um, well, let's just get to the point. If the uh, right now actually the the next raise or in uh, in the trade war would be 257 billion wave of imports and it's greatly hurting the GDP. Technology is changing greatly in the world and that's going to affect income uh, in so many ways. Uh, artificial intelligence or robotics are things that are coming very very quick. Some people say they'll generate uh, jobs. Others like me think they won't. Uh, many jobs can now be replaced. Um, maybe the TPP deal was a bad deal to jump out of, although I'm not pro-trade pro on these kind of things. But anyway, let's get to Autumn. Autumn, you do many things in real estate. Can you tell us a little bit about your firm, how it got started? Uh, was it you and your mother, or did uh, you just join your mother later on, or did you take the lead? Well, actually, um, Bill, I'm actually um, third generation. Um, my mother, Georgia Erling, and my father, Edgar Erling, were both what you would call gurus in the industry, um, both real estate brokers and in the real estate industry. So it's kind of interesting because when I was young and my mother was working and running the office, she would always tell me I would always want things. And she would always say, when I get my check, <laughs> when I get my commission check. And I would never understand because I always wanted that red wagon or extra sketch and all those things. And I always wondered, I got to wait for a commission. I got to wait for a commission, you know, and <laughs> the same thing, um, with my father. So when I was in school, I did an internship program with a judge, and he would always have me come in and sit on the floor and teach me to be disciplined, okay? Because I was always anxious because I always wanted gifts and, I mean, things, you know? And um, mm -hmm. so I started very, very young um, with working with different people and working around my mom. Uh, so what happened was is that I ended up starting working for a mortgage company. And actually, I was their top mortgage person um, when I started working there. And time that I finally got realized, I was running from point from A to Z all over the place. And then I finally saw the amount, the check, what I was making as opposed to what the company was making. So then I came home and I spoke with my mother and she supported everything that I wanted to do. Of course, I worked for her, <laughs> but um, um, yeah, always. She was, the, she was the one that threw that whip at me, you know, but that's a beautiful thing, praise God. But um, what we decided was to refinance our home. Um, so we can open up, I can open up a mortgage company, which um, started in 1998, which I am the last woman, not the, not the last one, but as of today, the only one, because I 
my goal is to leave a legacy. So I, as of today, the only uh, minority African-American woman in the state of New Jersey that owns a a mortgage firm. So I am very thankful and blessed for that because of my family, my mother. Wow. That's the only one in New Jersey. Yes, I am. You know, I survived um, the economic downfall that started in 2007, um, and I have survived the hardest of times. Um, When you can survive the hardest of times, then you always know that you can soar above the clouds when you do that. So I started in 1998. We opened up our firm in 1998, and we started in Newark. We moved to a bigger office in Newark, New Jersey, and we came back here in New Jersey in Montclair in 2007. So and, uh, it's you, been in the family for over 20 years, the mortgage company. Mm-hmm. Does your mother still work with you, or you, you now No, uh, my mother, um, God rest her soul, passed in 2010. Um, I'm very, very fortunate because, um, and I'm very blessed because my mother had a stroke when we had an economic, when the market fell. That was the worst day of my life that I will remember in the sense in business in 2007 where we had loans in the pipeline and banks were closing down and weren't closing our loans. So that was a hard, hard time. Actually, 208, because we had just bought our building in 207 in Montclair, New Jersey. So um, in 2000 and around 2009, um, my mother had a stroke. And I took care of her for eight months, but I stopped working, Bill. Um, And I didn't work at all because, as they say, you take care of your mother and your father. You live long last days. I did not care if I lost the company. I did not care if, um, if I lost the building. And I really say that because your, my mother was my love. She was my angel. She was almost like my husband in the sense of just everyone knew her in the industry. HUD, everyone knew her. And my job was to take care of my mother no matter what happened. So I took eight months off, did not work, could not work. <laughs> and I am so thankful and blessed to this day because I'm still in the industry. And I was with her before God took her home. So I have no regrets at all for what has happened. Mm-mm. That's a that's a quite a story. Uh, that, yeah. You know, first day after that, yeah. You really went to an upswing in about 2012, I guess, right? Yeah, it, it went in, in an upswing. You know, it's up and down. We're like a a, a pendulum um, slipped here, but. You know, during after, and this is very, very important because after my well, after my mother passed, um, I started writing, and I started writing about everyone, everything that everyone was going through within the economic downfall, and started writing about, you know, how things have affected people, and it was very important about realizing about everyone deals with things in life. No one is any different than anyone else, but how do you deal with it and uh, adjust and make changes and how to in this society? So I, I wrote the book. It was called The Real Deal. And it was interesting because I wrote the book two years. It was the first time I ever wrote a book, but I wrote the book with no TV, no television, no radio. I was a monk for two years in the same place in my home and wrote that book, went to work and would sit in the same place and write a book with no music or anything. 
I, you know what? Uh, I'm ashamed to say I, I've done uh, like books for government research projects uh, yes. here in New Jersey and across the country, but I haven't been uh-huh. able. I, I mean, I've had a lot of experiences. I've uh, met important world leaders and, and other things. Um, and I, I just haven't, been, I don't know, I can't isolate myself to do that. So many things interrupt. I mean, I've gone to people who wanted to charge me a fee, uh, people I know well and I like, but I didn't want to pay somebody $5,000 to help me write a book. But that's remarkable that you did that because I so far can't do that. It was easy to well, do you know, research. Bill, what I did was is it's research. I I would listen. I learned how to copyright on my own. I published. I learned how to be a publisher. I went off of remember hearing Oprah Winfrey say you always want to self publish your book, so if anyone wants your rights. Um so I taught myself, you know, um how to do it. And it was it was trying, don't get me wrong, but you know, just like in the mortgage company, I am a survivor and I overcome. Um, so I was able to get through it and get through the challenges of learning how to do it so it became to actual fruition. Let me ask you this, and this is sure. an obvious question. You probably have an obvious answer. When you went through that economic downturn, did you feel uh-huh. it was you know, a depression or a recession? Um, well, that's interesting that you say that. Um, it was more or less, I would think, they said it was um, similar to the depression that we had, the Great Depression. Um, it was definitely, as far as I'm, I'm concerned, um, I would think it was similar to a depression. Um, and I say, you know, it was, if it wasn't, it was a depression in everyone's mind. Um, it did affect everyone, um, as a matter of fact, from from the top to the bottom. Um, it was a major change in life. Um, I do believe some people are still coming out of it because they lost a lot. You know, um, they really, really did. And, you know, to come back after losing so much, whether it's a tangible asset, as it being the real estate, you know, it's sometimes it's a difficult thing to do. So you have to learn how to restructure and leverage your assets in 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 different times. Now, I have, and I tell people when I speak because I'm also I speak on this. Um, the only way that you will overcome situations like this again is to know what to do in the worst of times. Always prepare for the worst and the what-if scenario. Because if you always prepare for the worst or the what-if scenario, well, what if this happens and you're prepared for that, you will always be an overcomer to be able to jump ahead of anyone else because you prepared for it to happening. And that deals with life in general. So if you're going to have a major blizzard, you're going to stock up food. You're going to put water, cans in your home. It's the same thing when it comes to buying property and knowing your numbers short and long term. You know, it was funny, uh, Autumn. Uh, I had a house fire. I worked in Trent, uh-huh. which is 104 miles from my house. And I okay. worked out of Detroit spot. And uh, with mm-hmm. the house fire, a lot of bad things happened. I didn't lose okay. the um uh, I wound up, uh, I'm a Democrat, and a Republican state senator brought me home. 
I couldn't keep that house. I didn't lose it. It was the family property that was supposed to come to me. But uh, I learned, I, while I was working as a, I became an administrator in two counties. And I seen people with all the money in the world uh, lose their homes. Uh, husbands, mm-hmm. I remember one uh, woman and uh, her husband kept inviting us to move into their home, which was silly. And he was going all over the country. He had great skills. But they were picking his brain. And his wife worked at Deutsche Bank, which eventually was a German bank, but I think it's now under Russian control. But, you, I, you know, those stories were horror stories. And it was things like what my mother and father told me during the Depression. So you, that's a remarkable insight that you have. I'm just looking at some things that, uh, uh, you know, uh, some things that come out of a real estate book that I was reading today. And... Uh, there's some things like, uh, you know, little little attributes of skills. Keep the main things the main things is one. Read a lot. Book, books help frame a, a mental state for you. Wake up earlier. I don't know what time you wake up. Uh, also a realtor uh, in general, consulting, teaching, tutoring, and you do that. And freelancing. I don't know if you do that. Um, maybe blogging. So, you do writing. Uh, do you, do you blog? Yes. Well, um, keep in mind that I collaborate with realtors with my mortgage firm, okay? Um, and because of the fact, it's very, very important today because of what has happened to people, their trust level has lessened to know who to trust, who to go to. So I truly believe in true communication, Bill, um, no matter who you are. Um, from being a billionaire, um, a blue-class worker, whatever the, 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 the issues are, communication is very, very important. Um, when it comes to dealing with my mortgage company, it's very important that everyone knows the, their numbers, um, short and long-term, to know exactly what their ultimate goal is. And it's very important when you buy that first home You need to know what you're going to do with it. You just don't say, I want to buy a home and go buy it. Um, You need to know and have the knowledge to know what to do with that home. Will I be able to leverage that home? Will I be able to establish that as being part of generational wealth to pass it down to my family? Because, you know, wealth is very, very important today. So you need to know what you're going to do and how you're going to establish it. So to answer your question, so many people have been asking me, and they ask me a lot of questions. Now, I'm going to keep something, tell you something. I talk and I talk and it comes to me um, because of what I do, and I'm very compassionate about it. Um, So so many people ask me, Autumn, we need you to blog. We need to do this. We need you to do this, you know. So I'm starting to do more blogging. I've been asked to do a lot of how-to books um, because people don't know. Now, keep in mind, I've had real estate around my family of a total combined 40 years experience. So I am very blessed to the point of knowing the whole facets of the industry, and I was taught really by my mother who taught me how in this industry what needs to be done to be able to get referral business, to be able to listen 
to the needs of the person to be able to gain trust of what they want, not you direct them, but to listen. And I find, Bill, everyone that comes into my firm, Siege Mortgage in Montclair, they become family. It's interesting. They come to my, my, my office, and they become family. They trust. They leave things, you know, information. They, they just leave so much because they trust and they believe that, First Prestige Mortgage, I as being the owner, who anyone that works in that office or even dealing with me, that they can trust them. So um, public wants me to do more. (laughs) So actually, I am starting to do more blogging. (laughs) So that's a good thing. It certainly is. Let me ask you a a, a question that might seem way off feed. When your mother started, was there, you're a minority group, you're both minority group members. Did you have any trouble in the community at all or any, uh, you know, the outside community? What do you mean by that? I don't understand the question. What, do you feel any racism or, at all, ever? Oh, my God, dealing? no. As a matter of fact, you know, um, I never had an issue with racism. Um, and you know why? Um, because I'm good at what I do. Whether you're black, pink, yellow, green, Money is still green, <laughs> you know, and at the end of the day, people want to know that you know what you're talking about. People have to trust to talk about their business, their family, and have comp- be comfortable in confidentiality. So I've never have had any issue at all. As a matter of fact, the diversification of my clientele is very good. Um, So I've been via my mother, Georgia Erling, my father, Edgar Erling, never, never had an issue of racism. The racism that may occur is the racism in our minds which sabotage our minds to think that a certain group um, can only buy in a certain area or will not be accepted. Um, and that's where my firm has always stepped in because everyone has the potential to obtain what they want in life and where they want to go as long as they are have the exposure, they have the knowledge, and they have the guidance to be able to obtain what they want to have in their life as many properties learning how to deal with their money to be able to leverage, to cash out, to know what they need to do. And that's where I come in because you get a whole thing when you walk in my office. You know, you learn everything. Uh-huh. Okay, now let me move on a little bit. Uh, I'm looking at the tea leaves. I'm going to ask you about the tea leaves. Uh, the real estate market is probably going to decline again probably within uh, 2019, maybe 2020. Uh, mm-hmm. I think, it may, it, you know, some say it'll be a soft drop. Others say it might be a hard drop. What do you think? Is, uh, what's your in- inclination at this point? Well, you have to always remember, Bill, it's like the stock market. The people drive the demand, okay? So you have to remember, depending on where you are, state by state, will also depend on a lot of things. Uh, the speculation whether or not if the market is going to drop, I can't say. Um, what does affect it, which I will share with you, are the taxes. The real estate taxes up the lot, infrastructure affects a lot. Things slow down. 
Um, and, you know, the prices were high. If the prices are high and taxes are high, then it becomes um, not affordable um, for people to buy. And they go to where it's affordable because of the quality of living. So um, if by chance you're stating to me that the speculation is 219, maybe 2020, that the market's going to drop, um, we've already started to see it slowing down. Um, it is slowing down, um, and everyone can see that. But the sad thing is, Bill, the real estate market is always the last thing that people address when there is a crisis or when we have a governmental shutdown or where the appraised values in certain areas and maybe the urban areas are less than they are in other areas where you do not have the generational wealth because the people do not have the opportunity to cash out, send their people to school, open up different um, businesses. Because you got to remember, self, the local businesses and every community is the pinnacle is very, to every city. You know, it's very, very important. And that's what happens. So, um, my opinion is if by chance the market gets slower and slower, then you have to think about the reasonings. It could be the taxes. It could be the prices are, are, are too high, and we're going to have to bring everything down and lower things as well. You know, the interest rates went up a little bit, but now they're staying, and it seems as though that they're not going to increase the interest rate for a period of time. I don't know how long that's going to be either. Let me, you know, with the um, uh, the federal tax bill, New Jersey uh-huh. gets a whack. Uh, is that hurt? Will that hurt sales or? or of course uh, it does. Of course, of course. You have people that move from Manhattan into New York, and they talk about the taxes. I mean, of course, New York is a different a different territory, and you can't, you know, the pricing of New York is nowhere like in New Jersey. But at the end of the day, money is money. Numbers are numbers. You dot your I's and cross your T's. And if the taxes keep going up, that is is an issue. You have to remember, if people move to New Jersey and have a family, they have additional expenses for their children. Um, And you have to remember, because of the millennials and things that are happening, a lot of the millennials are moving out of the state of New Jersey because of the real estate taxes and also because of the properties are high. So if you have high property taxes and then the property is getting high, Things are going to slow down, and that's not going to be good for the market at all. So the real estate taxes have a lot to do with it. They're very high in New Jersey. And that is a big problem. And I, I live in an area where there is absolutely no transportation down to, say, a city like Newark or New York. Uh, there's like two bus lines that come into the county, and that's the same mm-hmm. with some of the other western counties, which makes it mm-hmm. hard. Then you've got the problem of seniors moving out of New Jersey uh, with the millennials down to Florida or New Mexico. Has that ever impacted your your agency? Um, What, Bill, exactly? Well, the movement of seniors out of New Jersey. Well, the thing is, is that seniors, um, the reason why seniors move out is because the attention with seniors with housing has not been addressed. Um, you know, you have to remember the 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 transfer of property 
to their family has changed. Um, the younger generation do not want to be a part of it. Um, the seniors have left because yeah, they're on fixed income, you know, That's and it true. becomes not affordable. And I, it saddens my heart um, when you have a senior that has lived their life and they're paid their taxes and at the end of the day don't get any benefit, don't get any break when it comes to their property and with taxes. And then you have these investors that move into these towns and they come and offer them money to move out or they scare them and fear as though they're going to lose their home. And the, the thing is, is that more programs need to be addressed for our seniors, our mothers and fathers. I mean, they raised us. So they shouldn't be in a situation where they're distressed to lose their home. And another thing is, is that they have to, you know, the family has to realize that, you know, a property, a home is a tangible asset. So if your mother or father has a property and, you know, the taxes are high and she can't afford that property, there's things you got to think about with the family. You know, you got to think about before letting the property go, how can we keep this property as long as it's not a deficit in the family to benefit, to be able to utilize it? Most people don't realize important of real estate and to utilize it as long as you know your numbers, as long as you know what you can do with it, because it's so, so important to know that. Let me ask your opinion about uh, – I see commercials for this all the time. I don't know what your stand in is. It's the seniors yeah. with uh, giving up their equity, living in their home. Uh, I, I can't think of the name of the program. I see the guy from – Reverse mortgages? Old- yeah. Are they is it reverse- really – Okay. Okay. Let me share something about reverse mortgages. Um, I'm going to share before I really started doing reverse mortgages, Okay. I hated the program. I didn't know anything about it in the beginning part of when we opened up our firm. I will share to you, I wish my mother and I did a reverse mortgage, okay? You really have to know the benefits of a reverse mortgage. Most people think that they're going to come in and take your home. But you really have to understand the purpose of reverse mortgage, how it can be utilized. At the end of the day, a reverse mortgage is not given to you with the thought process of taking your home. Um, the issue is, is that most people don't know how to utilize a reverse mortgage. And I'm going to tell you another problem is that the ones via like loan officers that are selling a reverse mortgage, all they're thinking about is the money they can make. Well, some of them, not all of them, please. And I say that about the amount of money they can make, you see, and what makes a senior or whoever knowledgeable is to prepare them, to let them know and give them the education of what you do if this happens, how you prevent if this happens, when you know what to do with the property if this happens, not just paying the bill and saying, oh, I'm, you know, I only have to pay this. Um, so I'm not, not going to tell you I'm not fond of reverse mortgages. Um, I think the knowledge um, needs to be explained more. Um, I think the people need, seniors need to know the benefit of it. 
um, and they need to know, the family needs to know the fallout. Now, I know several people, not via, through my firm, a first prestige mortgage, that has come to me and called my company because they needed help because who they got a reverse mortgage from and what do I do, okay? Um, and that's that's when it bothers me because they weren't given the proper information. Um, so I don't have anything bad to say about a reverse mortgage. I think you have to be able to educate and give the knowledge so everyone knows, and a family member, because it's very important that you don't leave your mother, your father in a situation, no matter the whatever's going on, to know what needs to be done for the what-if scenario. What if you've got a good heart? <laughs> Let me ask you something that's going to lead into some of the activities that you, you, you do outside of, uh, uh, you know, your, your office or maybe even in your office. Every uh-huh. successful entrepreneur needs a good mentor or a guide. Uh, yes. Training under that mentor, watchful eye, or whatever. Now, I I assume that your mother was your your real mentor in life, um, and probably in work. What kind of things have you done with mentoring? I, we have some things posted on the uh, site uh, for this station uh, that you sent to me today. Could you go into that? In Montclair yes, and some of the other um, certainly, do? Bill, and I would love to. And yes, to to state what you have, my mother was my mentor. Um, mentoring is very, very important um, in any facet in life. Uh, and I believe that you're only as good as the people that are around you. You're only as good as your actions of what you have done to lift someone else up. You're only as good as your word passes to someone else when someone else wants to refer someone to you from another state. I've been blessed that way from having the proper, proper way of knowing how to deal with others and to listen to them and to know exactly where their heart is and not to judge anyone. And because of that, I have mentored Um, interns, because I'm with several universities that I signed up for internship that started coming at to work for me, not work, yeah, work for me, but also prior with my mother and I that were 16 years old. And I will share to you by the time they got to be 19, 20, a Fortune 500 company would want them. Uh And that was a blessing, Uh you know. Um, So I knew that I was doing something right. Um, so I do mentor. I have a movement um, that, as well that I started a year ago. It has become now um, has addressed a lot of people, uh, not addressed, has uh, others uh, have acknowledged my movement. Uh, the name of the movement is the Mind 2 Movement that is geared to young women in high school and it's very very important because your mind is basically the basis of everything and the mind and the core of the person that you are and sometimes we let our emotions get away from our mind and we have to realize that every young lady needs to claim their power Um, and know that 
their mind and being able to exude their mind and being able to to exude exude their mind and being transparent where other people will accept them no matter what their differences are. So what I do now with the Mind2 movement, high schools call me and I put curriculum programs together. Some can be 23 weeks. Um, others can be as much as a month of coming in and speaking and motivating speaking to the young women from freshmen to seniors to let them know that they can be someone today and they have a power. And not only that, Bill, which is very, very important, because of so many of our young people see what's going on in the world and how things have affected them, they don't know how to express themselves without expressing themselves in a negative um, negative connotative way. They don't realize how to have someone receive what you're saying um, without it being negative. So I also teach the young women that, how to express themselves and and uh, how to, you know, to know about themselves as a young woman, to know what's really bothering them and affecting them and what they need to do to change it so they can make a difference in our world because our teenagers are our next generation, you know, and they have to be taught and mentored because they're not being, and they're, because they're seeing so much negativity in the world. So I, it's in my heart. The mind to movement is very, very important to me of how to separate, you know, knowing your mind and your emotions and your soul um, and being able to know your core so you'll be able to be the best young lady and the best woman that you can be. That's what counts. Uh, specifically, what happens, the program that uh, it's now posted on our website and your, and your site, what was that about? Uh, was that in Montclair or is that uh, the Clark? Oh, are you talking about the program, the video? Yes. Yes. Okay. Was that a video that you posted? Is that the video? I think I saw the mayor of uh, Montclair and uh, oh, other yeah. people. Oh, yeah. I was very blessed. Um, that was the mayor of Montclair, Mayor Robert Jackson, and the former mayor of East Orange, Mayor Bowser, um, Mayor Robert Bowser. Um, I had my 20th anniversary for First Prestige Mortgage, so it also had got some TV press and Dela Cruz and a lot of people um, it was my 20th anniversary and being a minority-owned woman firm and um, being the only one here in the state of New Jersey, um, I had a event that got acknowledgement. I was very blessed. I had the Mayor Robert, ba- um, Mayor Robert Jackson and Councilman Bob Russo. They pinned me with the 150th anniversary pin from Montclair, and only I was told that only delegates get this pin. <laughs> so I was very, yeah, yeah. Um, um, I was very blessed to get that pin. I was pinned, but I not only got one pin, I got another pin. So I got two pins on my 20th anniversary. And uh, Mayor Rob, uh, Mayor Rob, excuse me, I'm sorry, Bill. What'd you say? I said very good for you. That's excellent. Yeah, and I'm going to have to pleased. interrupt at this point. We're, we're nearing the end of our uh, journey today, uh, but you're awesome, Autumn, and I'd like to have you back on again. 
um, I have a background in setting up uh, internship programs uh, uh, when I was in New York City, and I know importantly, Arn, Bill has a very long history of uh, setting up uh, apprenticeship uh, programs. Uh, so uh, that would be interesting to explore that aspect of what uh, uh, you're doing with your movement, because that sounds awesome. Um, I put links to your uh, Facebook site, to your LinkedIn site, and to your book on Amazon. Is there any other place you'd like me to create a link to? I'm sorry. No, I'm perfectly okay. Um, Hercules, um, wherever you have posted um, the links and the information um, about me, my movement, or and or my mortgage firm. Um, so I, I do thank you very, very much. Um, I would love, love, love to eventually reach out to all of our vets as well because it's very important that we address our vets in housing. Um, yes, that's very dear to my heart as well. Um, so I thank you. I thank you, thank you very, very much for having me on, and I, I would love the opportunity to come back. Awesome. Um, Bill, uh, how can folks get in contact with you? Well, they can see me on Facebook. Um, I don't know if my voice is all crackled, but it's uh, it's Bill Waitman on Facebook. I'm on uh, I'm on uh, Twitter. There, uh, Bill Waitman. I'm on LinkedIn. I actually now I'm giving advice uh, via Harvard Business Review. Uh, awesome. You know, search out people to ask for advice. And um, uh, I guess uh, I'm in the newspapers every now and then, too, so they can look for that. Fantastic. Thanks to you both for being on uh, the Elysium Project, and I'm looking forward to speaking with you both very soon. Uh, Until then, happy holiday season and happy new year. Thank Thank you. you. Happy holidays to you, Hercules, to you and your family. Thank you. And thanks to all who joined us uh, tonight. Until next time, this is all of us uh, wishing you joyous journeys and productive uh, adventures. Amen. Thank you. And my, my music board. Oh, there you thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. <laughs>